Running wild with Christine, sex, success, and other slippery rabbit holes. Welcome to episode 79 with Jay Simpson. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm so good. I had yesterday off, which never happens. Oh so my gosh. I actually gosh. feel rested, like last a human being. Week, last week I had four days off, and I was like, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah, and, and also, how do people human? <laughs> I, I spent two of it asleep. <laughs> good. That's necessary. Yeah, yesterday I was just like, oh. I don't have work. Um, okay, I guess. Um, it just took three hours to just drink my coffee and be like, this is weird. No one's calling me. No one's texting me. It's eerily quiet, but it's so nice. It is. It really is. It's necessary. So, Jay, you have been, like, we've been connected by Maggie from Grace Club. Thanks, Maggie. Um, we also have a bunch of people in common from Processing Rage and a bunch of the other events that have been discussed thoroughly on this podcast so please go back in time and listen to the other episodes um who are you let's start there who am i (laughs) that is such a complicated question i know and it's it's i've been really thinking a lot of billy ray belcourt's work in regards to embodiment yeah and i'm like what is a body am i a body is the body a container contains what like Mm -hmm. what is the process do I even want to have a body? The answer is no. Yeah. I don't want to. But then everyone's like, oh no, you must go to the hospital. That is, And then I'm like, what I am is a poet and a very complicated uh, feelings in regards to poetry, but also in regards to everyday life. I am OG Cree Soto mixed uh, with some Scottish and French. Um, uh, queer trans woman who uses they them pronouns living in Vancouver been here for about three years now was born here um, I spent 16 years in foster care that kind of thing um, and I have spent most of my time doing art and advocacy social justice work um, when it calls you it calls you it's, it's hard not to yeah. do that work <clears throat> oftentimes it feels like there is no one else doing that work yeah. and that thought alone is erasive of a lot of people who have done the initial work yeah and specifically a lot of black women who have done a lot of that work in social justice scenes that yeah. are erased yeah I don't even know where to begin with my questions there was so much in that um <laughs> yeah totally what um we'll get to your current activism further down the line in the episode but what what's your first memory of feeling like when it's calling to you Ooh, so <clears throat> this is funny this is cute baby j baby j um i think it was in grade four i was reading this this magazine and it was like there are only 28 spotted owls left in the pacific northwest <laughs> they are endangered And then it was, I was like, oh no, these owls are endangered. We must save the owls. Um, And then it was like, what to do is like get a petition and like send it to your like MLA or Mm -hmm. whoever. And so little me got like 30 signatures, but like great for they were kids, right? So it wasn't like like voting members. Um, but I got all these signatures and then I asked my foster mom to mail it there and she was like, I'm not wasting postage for the owls. 
So a lot of like my Ugh. activism when I was a kid was like save the animals, like specifically the spotted owls. Um, unfortunately, there is not enough of a big enough population to bring the species back. So we will oh. see an extinction shortly. Yeah. No spotted owls. So they're sad. my favorite. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, where did you go to school? Um, so, <clears throat> like in regards to university or... Or, or even grade four. <laughs> <laughs> grade four, I went to school in Surrey. So yeah. I had a very, um, urban, not urban, like very kind of like bordering towards Langley yeah. lifestyle. Um, was very familiar with the Guilford Mall and the Guilford <laughs> Library. Spent a lot of my time there. Um... And so I went to school in Surrey, and then I did a little bit of high school in Surrey before moving to Langley, and then Langley to Kamloops, so then I went to, yeah, so I went to, finished up high school in Kamloops. That's quite a shift to small town. Yeah, so I found that, like, every foster home, I was moving further and further and further from the city I was born, and I was like, okay, well, complicated. Yeah. And then I went to university in Kamloops, and I went to TRU for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> TRU and like Kamloops, it was a really interesting container yeah. because after I had aged out of foster care, that is when I began to, um, really come into my own queerness and sexuality and identity. Um, when do you age out of foster care? I don't know anything 19, about the system so, in Canada. Okay. Yeah. So the 19 is when you are considered an adult. An adult. Yeah. Some provinces have 18. Um, but they cut off services. They give you a small check for furniture, and they they tell you to go on go on your way. Um, so the transitional services are awful. And <clears throat> so when uh, I turned nineteen, I transitioned into adulthood in Kamloops, yeah. where the rent was cheaper, which yeah. is, which is great. Um, and I had a few grants and a few jobs, so it was it, I was able to survive. But I came into my queerness in this small country town. They say it's a city, it's a town, everyone knows town. everyone. Like, it, it really is a town. Like, honestly, the the things I know that I don't even want to know that I know that only yeah. small town... You know small what I mean? Small town people know shit about each other. Small town woes. I also didn't live in Kamloops for a while. I lived halfway between Kamloops and Merritt in a community of summer homes. So I didn't have neighbors for, like, Half nine months. Year? Yeah. For, and winter was very solitary. Hated it as a kid, love it now as an adult when I yeah. visit my parents and I get to like write and work and eat and just like be coddled. Yeah. You know? And I kind of love that too. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, you're so successful. Like, oh, like you're published. Like, oh, what? like, and I'm, I love being babied now yeah. instead of like, is this like, your why don't you parents' parents or a foster parents? This is parent? my adopted parents. So these were my last foster parents yeah. that then continued the relationship, which was important. Mm-hmm. But going back to being queer in Kamloops, yeah. I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I had been let go of a, of a job because um, they wouldn't honor my pronouns and I kept on correcting them. And I got let go from it. <clears throat> and then I had been told that that was an act of discrimination. So yeah. I I was speaking to some lawyers and there were some conversations. And then they had, the workplace had uh, tried to retract 
the your res- the firing. Yeah, you? yeah. And I was just like, at that point, I, no, like, no, no, because the only reason why you would do that is because you don't want to hit with a lawsuit. But you also weren't treating me great in the first place. Why would I come back? Exactly. Um, and I ended up letting it go. Oftentimes. Throughout my life, there's been great acts of injustice, and I just haven't pursued it legally, and then it's past the time I can actually do anything yeah. about it. And you know what? Maybe that's a gift to the people who have caused those harms to me, but also it's a gift to myself. It's a gift to yourself. I don't have the energy anymore to deal with <clears throat> the legal system, especially if the legal system doesn't protect queer indigenous folks and indigenous folks point blank. Yeah. So. And as long as you feel like you got your closure or your understanding of it then the monetary paperworky thing sometimes it's just more hassle yeah and I would only walk away with not a lot of money yeah and there's fees and all of that and I'm like is it really worth the six years worth your time right? yeah. yeah yeah and it's such a long process for so little um and I was like you know what I'm going to move to Vancouver I know some friends there they're all very queer very trans very people of color orientated and I did and <clears throat> no looking back. <laughs> no look. It was literally, literally. I didn't get into the program I wanted at TRU. Got let go from my job. I was like, you know what? It's this is it. This is the sign. <laughs> These are the signs. These yeah. are the signs where Kamloops is like, not for me right now. You don't belong. So Kamloops essentially kicked me out, and I was like, okay, bye. Yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna move to the big city. Big, yeah. big. Vancouver is pretty big for. We yes, yeah, it counts as a big city. Yeah, but. It's it so feels small. small. It's so small. <laughs> um, so I escaped to Vancouver and began to perform poetry um, at Slam Poetry in Vancouver. And then um, people began to like pay attention to my art. And my art always had a political, queer existence to it. Um, and I love performing. I did theater for like 12 years. Nice. So I'm well-versed in how yeah. to make an audience feel and um that was something I'm always enjoyed of you know when you've been hidden and erased for so long sometimes the spotlight is what you yearn for yeah so I took it I took the spotlight yeah suits you <laughs> thank you um <clears throat> yeah I've been here taking taking names and kicking butt and, uh <laughs> taking what is rightfully mine yeah yeah and how do you feel like when you when you got to Vancouver, like on that trip back, what what happens then? Oof. Like what happens? Like when you're like, okay, fucking bye, Kamloops, and you arrive in Vancouver. Because I'm always I I have these in my personal life these big moments of shifts, and I remember vividly certain details about them like the first time I moved to Vancouver I remember standing on a patio having a cigarette looking at the moon being like oh my fucking god I'm so fucking alone on the other side of the fucking universe I could so easily fuck up right now let's not you know like yeah. I'm talking to myself so I, I'm I always like asking questions about those like moments that in the moment you're like ah this is what I'm doing and you just run with it but then looking back you're kind of like that was big that yeah. was a big shift a huge shift. So I was um, moving from Kamloops to Vancouver. My adopted brother offered to move me. Very grateful for it. Yeah. He has a huge truck. So he, uh, we all put all of my stuff in this truck and drove down. Um, 
We, we uh, went to the liquor store first because road pops are Yeah. Thing. If you're from the country, you know what a road pop is. Yeah. Um, and I got drunk off hay y'alls <laughs> on the way down. I was blasted. Blasted. <laughs> um, and he was like, it's a tradition for the person moving to get drunk well. Yeah. Like, it's going. And then we arrived in Vancouver and moved into the room, which was with some friends. Uh, in an apartment, uh, not an apartment, in a house. And it was, I was like, wow, I'm here. Like, I'm, I've dreamt of coming to Vancouver for so long. For so long, it's what I had wanted. And I was like, it's finally here. Yeah. <clears throat> and it took me about seven to eight months to perform and get out more often. I was like, I need to acclimatize, yeah. have a new job, going to school here, figure things out. But it was just um, everything I had wanted. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that now? I had moved here, um, so two and a half years ago. Okay. I said three, but it was two yeah. and a half. August of 2016. So that's when I had moved. The big shift. The big shift, yes. How do you feel like you've changed in the last two and a half years? <laughs> <laughs> Holy. Um... <laughs> I'm a big personality uh, who is so unapologetic. It's hard because I feel like I came into my power in Vancouver. Yeah. Where I was already pretty outspoken and loud and powerful in Kamloops, but I was... The echo was smaller. The echo was smaller. (laughs) The walls were closer. (laughs) Exactly. And people didn't like what I wanted to say, and Mm. it was often uh, responded to in pretty violent ways. There was a lot of... um, acts of extreme violence on my body in Kamloops so in here I felt like there was also a level of anonymity when I wanted Mm -hmm. to so I was like okay like my chance to start again or maybe like curate how I want to exist in community um I was also a baby queer so I was consuming a lot of this media and these articles and uh, the social justice work without any critical nuance Lens. or investigation. So yeah. I was sucking these all up and I was like, this is how I want to practice. And, and my, my pedagogy, my, my theory on all of it was okay, but my practice of it was very bad. Yeah. I wasn't good at it. I hadn't done it before. So I was stumbling. I was falling into old ways of communication that these small towns, that these white foster parents often abusive so it was it was very hard to break out of the what I had been indoctrinated in yeah and I was like I really want to reach there I really want to reach there and it was hard and I stumbled and I fucked up I fucked up a lot to be honest and I I acknowledge that today that I've caused a lot of harm in personal relationships because I didn't know how to communicate and hold myself mm-hmm. um and it makes me very sad because now I feel like I have more of those skills Tools. and more of that knowledge. Yeah. And it's because of, I'm going to say it, queer black women in my life who have really helped and supported me. Yeah. And <clears throat> who have held me accountable and have seen something in me being like, you are so important. What you did was not okay, but we're not going to punish you for it. We're going to work on it. Yeah, educate you. Exactly. And I think that is something that really changed me in a lot of ways that I'm really grateful for. Um, And it was 
a lot and it's gifted me with a lot of tools to how I act in community. Um, there've been a few times where people have come after me for being white passing. And instead of instantly challenging that and shutting them down, I acknowledge, yes, I am white passing. I do uh, have white privilege in regards to my skin tone. Yeah. But I was taken out of foster care for being indigenous and my mom was indigenous and I grew up being called an Indian and a chug and I grew up with all of these awful things and stereotypes. So I did have a racialized experience, but compared to you yeah. giving me the feedback, I can walk down the street and be perceived as white. You walk yeah. down the street and you have that violence directed at you. Mm -hmm. So I acknowledge that and I want to do the work so you feel comfortable in that. So it's been a part of my process yeah. of being like, okay, when people are saying something to me with this kind of energy and they're a member of my community, I haven't done something to make it open for them to give me that feedback and dialogue. Yeah. And that's my responsibility. Yeah. To make sure that folks can come to me and say, hey. Call you in. Yeah. yeah. Or even call me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> call out culture is, is important. It's definitely important, especially for more marginalized folks. Mm -hmm. It's safer for them to, to not have to do as much emotional labor because they have. They've internalized all of that labor. When someone calls you in, there are weeks of people mulling over it and holding in. Like the labor is being done. Yeah. And so, same with call outs. Like people are thinking about it. They're weighing the options. People are so scared of being canceled for calling someone mm -hmm. out. But sometimes that's all the energy you have to go and say, hey, this wasn't okay. I don't have the energy to do this. Do yeah. something about it. And that's brilliant. I think that needs to be protected in a way. Yeah. Especially from like queer trans uh, folks, especially trans women of color. Yeah. There needs to be that option and that openness that like, it's not necessarily cancel culture. Call out mm -hmm. culture yeah. isn't necessarily for cancellation. And I think folks have really correlated and like yeah assimilated the, the two yeah and i think there's importance in call out and mm -hmm. saying this person has harmed me um it is not always my responsibility to explain to you how or why or and do the work yeah. for you mm -hmm. and kai cheng tom does such beautiful beautiful justice work uh and she is um, also a trans woman and her work is so brilliant. She has, she has a book that just came out. You'll have to give me all the links to put it in the description. <clears throat> I will totally <laughs> have to because uh, Kai Cheng Tom's work has been so radical in my understanding of moving from theory to practice mm -hmm. and how I process my rage where I'm like, I'm mad at this person. Let's, let's break it down. Let's look at the privilege we have. Mm -hmm. Is there social capital? Of course there's social yeah. capital inherently their social capital i'm a person with a lot of social capital is this person existing with less and therefore scared like that is a huge yeah. privilege thing if i walk into the room and someone else walks in the room and there's conflict who are people going to lean to and believe yeah me yeah right and that's that's a thing that i have to incorporate and look into mm -hmm. and so kai chang's work has been absolutely brilliant um, alongside Gwen Benawes and Ariel Twist. I've just been thinking of how all of these amazing trans women and trans femme are doing this labor and this work. And it's it's been great in um, my practice. Yeah. And um, speaking of your practice, so you're now quite vocal and 
proactive and active in multiple rallies in the city. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so as an Indigenous person in Canada, I say Canada because currently Canada is illegally occupying our territories um, through the genocide of our people. Um, And I always have very complicated relationships with pan-Indigenous rhetoric, but it is in regards to the colonization of Turtle Island. It is a pan-Indigenous experience. Um, And that's probably the only thing I will agree with in regards to. But I organized a rally last spring um, in regards to Tina Fontaine, um, who was 14 years old, young Indigenous woman. um, And she was a girl. She wasn't a woman. She was a girl. girl. She was a girl. Barely a teenager. Um, And her social workers put her in a hotel 14 years old stuck her in a hotel couldn't find a placement for her couldn't take care of her really ignored a lot of her needs and a white man ended up taking her life and the court system let him go so the rally was saying that that's not okay that's not good enough and it had just came from the heels of the Colton Bushi um uh Court, court, court case where Colton Bushy was murdered by a white man, and he got off as well. So it was just after the heels of um, having two indigenous youth murdered by white men and getting off, and we were calling for juries to be investigated, to be looked at. They oftentimes this whole jury situation where they're trying not to have bias. Well, there's not a lot of indigenous people on the juries. There's not a lot of there's a lot going on in regards to accessing justice and the justice system isn't our justice system yeah it's not our system it's not our way we need to acknowledge the prairie ways and honor the treaty rights what are what is going on in the prairies um and so i had organized the rally in vancouver for justice for um tina fontaine and it was a very very emotional rally um there was a lot of medicine a lot of elders a lot of singers and it was uh, what we could do, and we ended up being able to raise some money for the family, which is a super important, important part of it process. Yeah. Because oftentimes, in regards to very public devastation, the grieving is so hard because the world is watching. Yeah, how do you get over? Not get over. How do you cope with everyone asking you if you're okay constantly? Yeah. The world, it's. It's hard. So when you're clearly not okay, like there is no way to be okay. Can we just can we just side note? Can we just say stop asking people who are not okay if they're okay? Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. such. Oh, it's more violent than helpful. Yeah, really. So we had wanted to raise money to to support the family. So we ended up being able to do that. Um, and then last week I ended up organizing a, a rally with. Don Johnson in regards to the Canadian Charter of uh, Human Rights Tribunal where Justin Trudeau was taking Indigenous children to court again uh, because his government doesn't want to pay out survivors of the foster care system, uh, specifically Indigenous youth on reserves. So there's there's, uh, a lot of injustices in regards to the Indigenous community that I simply do not put up with. I was in social work for a little bit was in social work classes, far too radical. A lot of my professors were saying, 
are you calling for the destruction of the state? And I was simply saying, yes, actually, I'm <laughs> anti-government, um, specifically on these territories. Um, and it's been, with the recent election, it's been quite a point of contention with some of my indigenous uh, peers because I didn't vote. And I specifically didn't vote because the Canadian government uh, is illegally existing on these lands. The treaties in the prairies and the treaties across Turtle Island was about farming and having access to land to survive. It wasn't about forming government. It wasn't about forming these regulations and these laws and these illegal occupations. So my treaties aren't being honored. I'm not going to honor the the systems that are in place. Yeah. And it's been it's been hard and it's been ironic because I pay rent, you know, I pay rent. You still exist in I live in world. Vancouver, which yeah. is not my territories. I am, um, you know, I, there's, there's levels of hypocrisy, but, um, I, I can say that, you know, Trudeau was not my leader. Yeah. I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for anyone because none of the leaders could properly portray indigenous leadership in my opinion. And also why is there one for me? I'm like, my ways... It's, it doesn't work for me. So I'm just, I'm just not into colonization. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Excuse me? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm just not into colonization. I mean, it's interesting that this is like a, a theme of the last couple of episodes because I was trying to, I was talking about it with Gian on the last episode, um, as like I, I grew up, I was born and I grew up in Europe, mm-hmm. but I'm half Serbian, half Croatian originally, mm-hmm. which on a European scale is mostly not people who have ruled. <laughs> Just yeah. Like, <laughs> not a, like, yeah, like <clears throat> many centuries ago, but mostly been ruled over by other people. So the entire conversation about colonization as like the body that I live in is really strange for me because, mm-hmm. cause I, I don't belong to North American culture in any way, shape, or form, other than I've lived here for, like, some of my adult life. So I actually never had these conversations before. Mm. You know what? A lot of folks haven't, though. A lot of folks who, who grew up here haven't. Haven't, which is this... Which, that, yeah, that's you know, exactly. It's, it's so wild that, like, a lot of us are your neighbors, and so many folks are like, I didn't even think about that. And I'm like, do you think about the land you walk on? Like, why you're they here. Don't. They don't. They don't realize. Like, <clears throat> oftentimes when folks do land acknowledgements, I was like, do you know the village that used to be here? And folks are like, there used to be a village? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Your land acknowledgement means nothing if you don't do the research, if you don't look into it. If your event is happening someplace in the city, see if there was a village there specifically. Yeah. Because then your event is benefiting from the dis- the direct displacement. Yeah. And also land acknowledgements are complicated because it's like, awesome, cool, you're acknowledging that the land was stolen. Fantastic. Is this your way of easing your white guilt? <laughs> the only way I want you to ease your white guilt is by opening your wallet and emptying it for me. That's, <laughs> you know, buy our land back for us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing about being within this social justice or personal development intersection work where like you you can do your best but but what is your best and what value does it bring into whom and mm-hmm. and what's at play 
there's so many different and I don't think like I still think as a, as a this is just my personal opinion I think that the whole like do as much as you can is valuable I you know like don't go vegan if you're not prepared to go vegan and if your intention is only to save the planet there are other ways like and mm-hmm. I think that little things do help mm-hmm. as opposed to one person being the best at it like exactly. a bunch of people trying <clears throat> to do a little bit better is helpful it is um, but but some of the lack of awareness like self-awareness not lack of awareness of things that like we're all we're all limited in our existence yeah. of of knowing things and and getting to learn about things but that awareness of like what do you think about when yeah. you exist is yeah. pretty startling mm-hmm. wow <laughs> really getting into it today getting, yeah i'm just here for the easy questions <laughs> um going back to um and this this is just like my personal like if you want to talk about something else go ahead but this is where my questions tend to go um you said you were a baby queer two and a half years ago um how do you think that evolution's like shown up let's just talk about this in queer queer my understanding of queerness yeah is honestly i think you're a baby queer for very little like mm-hmm. the lifespan is <clears throat> quite short for a couple your, of fuck ups a <laughs> couple of fuck ups a uh, couple of fucks you know that yeah. kind of thing <laughs> yeah. and so I, we age quickly because one we experience a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and we're forced into um a level of maturity that is complicated um i was i identify as a baby queer for about three years four years and it also depends in regards to situations and camloops i was a baby queer for a little bit and then i started organizing Mm -hmm. providing space mentorship allyship to younger uh queer folks um and very specifically in a very non-sexualized way yeah because i found in my experience that i was preyed on by a lot of older queers and groomed into queerness yeah in a way for for their consumption and that was only a few experiences there were only a few people like that but but it's still a part of something that you felt it yeah. still informed your sexualization yeah and it, it formed how i felt about my body for a very long time and media also the presentation of what queer looks like yeah yeah and i i wasn't down for the eurocentric ideals of beauty the cis cisness of it and how often um heterosexuality was like replicated in queer identity and mm-hmm. there's these dichotomies of like uh butch femme yeah. bottom top and all of these like forced assert- assertions of power mm-hmm. and i was like not really into it was didn't see myself in anything didn't feel comfortable in anything and then also at the same time i'm like what about the folks who just want to i explore who they are but also not be sexualized by folks within that sexual identity exactly which is complicated how do you explore it without hyper sexualization because isn't it a sexual like there's all these complications where you're like you know like chill like calm down like for me it was it was hard because I was seeing all of these young folks people my age um, being like almost like forced into dates and dating with older folks, myself included. Like my first partner 
was 12 years older than me. Yeah. And it wasn't great. And it was a huge power conflict. And uh, I ended up walking away from it with a lot of scars. Right. And it was actually like that for a very long time. And it also depends on how long you've had access to queer identity. For me, I've been out for, oh my God. You know, me, inherently me. Everyone always knew I was queer. Yeah. But, you know, I was one of those people who just couldn't hide. You know, there's some, sometimes yeah. someone comes out and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Me, it was, like, <laughs> you were like, about okay. time. Like, cool. wow, you want to party? Because we already knew. Um, but I had been very publicly, publicly out and, like, providing allyship and mentorship and um, kinship for many, many years. I am... Oh my gosh, I'm 25 now, and everyone's like, "You're so young." I'm like, "Yo, I've I'm a, I'm I've, I'm a wealth of lifetimes. <laughs> I've lived a thousand lives. Yeah, okay, in thousands of homes. Um, yeah. So, I'd been out for I've been out for seven years, and I've been providing a lot of spaces. But also, I first came out um, as a queer person who used to identify as a different gender. Yeah, and that was the gender that was forced on me. But I came out as like non-binary four years ago right Mm -hmm. um really enjoyed makeup i love makeup it feels great yeah i love doing makeup i specifically love looking otherworldly Mm -hmm. kind of scary Mm -hmm. kind of little you know yeah look look up their instagram you'll you'll see what we're talking about yeah exactly (laughs) um so i would offer makeup classes for folks uh, the big thing was teaching folks that, you know, with makeup, especially trans femme communities, sometimes less is more in regards yeah. to it. When I first started putting on makeup, I caked it on because I was like, okay, this is going to cover this. This yeah. is going to do this. No, it was quite obvious. It highlights things. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, makeup uh, blending was the biggest mm-hmm. thing, was blending. I was like, come on, you just need to be able to learn how to blend and yeah. your life will be so much easier. <laughs> I in still don't know to how makeup. to blend. <laughs> oh my god, the layers! My my skin routine is intense. For like a neutral look, it's yeah. like an hour Seven and a hours. half. For an outward, I can do the outworldly look in quicker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very quick. That's kind of why I only do outlandish. I just do like sparkles or nothing. <laughs> Lately, that's been my mood. Euphoria, Glitter anyone? Or nothing? Glitter or nothing? Glitter or bunk? Um, so yeah, that was Kamloops and. And then I moved here, and um, I was. Did you come out as? I'm just paying attention to the timing. Um, did you come out as non-binary here, or mm-hmm. or just before moving here? Just before moving yeah. here, because I'd lost my job. To oh, be yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. So, that was that was the situation, and I wasn't really out to my last foster parents, um, my adopted parents. Um, and I always just felt really uncomfortable and really nervous and scared of rejection. Mm-hmm. I've had foster, past foster parents like send me to like Christian camps and like um, like therapy sessions that were pray with the gay, like that kind of thing. And it was like levels of queer abuse um, yeah. as a youth. Well, it was child abuse, point blank period. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And that was like sanctioned by my social workers also. Um, I'm shaking my head silently. Yeah, well, it was it was a scary to like I came out very slowly, very very slowly and very gingerly because my whole life I had been suppressed 
as a queer youth. Like I knew very young I was a queer youth and I got my file from foster care. It was nearly 5,000 pages. And in it, they had hired a lawyer to check the liability rates of having a queer youth in care. So they, they, wow. they saw me as a risk. And that's what the file says was that my queerness was a risk. And I wasn't allowed to have friends over. I wasn't allowed to go over to friends' houses. I wasn't allowed sleepovers. I had like, it was very restrictive. It was in almost what calculated. What a fucked up, it just, I'm not surprised, which is sad, but I'm not surprised. But also, what a fucked up way to sexualize children. Exactly. And it was it was a sexualization of like, they're like, okay, this youth is going to be homosexual. Yeah. Jokes on you, transgender. <laughs> and also very, very bisexual. Like, do not erase. Um, no, but also like, where, where, in what, at what point do you... Do you just go like I don't I like it blows my mind. Like kids will flirt with other kids no matter what you do. No, no matter, matter the what gender, you do, exactly. no matter the sleepover. If kids want to start playing, they'll play. And, and that should be like that shouldn't be something that's a risk. Like what the fuck? It was it was hard. It was it was scary. Um and it was it was my experience, so I was very slow. Because, you know, these these adults who were my parents, I was like, what do I say to them? Like, how yeah. do I, how do I say, like, you know, I'm not your son, but I'm also not your daughter. But maybe more towards, you know, like, yeah. how do you say that to someone who isn't bound by flesh and blood or bound by money to do anything about mm-hmm. it so it was this huge risk of being like i could say this and lose the last of refuge string yeah because these these my last foster parents they saved me they really did they they brought me out of an abusive foster home they actually ended up fighting the past foster parents through some through some um processes with school boards and uh mental health uh um physicians and there was there was a lot that they advocated for on my behalf and they oftentimes um represented me when I just couldn't Couldn't, and that was the first time in my entire life that I was like I wish I had that my whole life yeah so I was like am I ready to risk it and I wasn't and Mm. so I didn't come out to them until like a year and a half ago and we ended up having a very gorgeous conversation in February this year where I ended up being very angry very very angry and very sad where my foster mom she said I wish I had done more to make you feel comfortable in talking to me and I was like you could have you could have said something yeah maybe I wouldn't wasn't ready to do anything then but then I would know yeah and she also she she was like you know you moved to Kamloops with us because I had moved with them yeah um and I was bullied profusely for being queer in in Kamloops in high school but I wasn't out, so I never really explained why I was being bullied. And it was quite violent. I actually ended up getting shot by a couple BB guns a few what? times. In the hallways at school. Um, <clears throat> and beat up a few times. Fucking small towns. Small towns, let me tell you. So it was, it was hard um, coming out. But now, now we've had some gorgeous conversations. 
I ended up I ended up sending some of my publications to my foster home. I don't send the ones about sex because there's quite <laughs> a few. There's that. quite <laughs> a few. I, I recently tweeted being like, it's the time of year when I send send all my publications to my mom. And then I had to reply be like, I can't send any of them because they're all so erotic. They're all about fucking people and I just can't. Trust me. I, I know. Yeah. My book is the same shit. <laughs> Everyone's like, so how do your parents feel about it? I'm like, they don't speak English, which helps. Um, <laughs> I was like, do you really want to read about how this one time I got fucked on the couch? Like, I don't know if I want my, like, you know, do I really want to? I mean, I do. Please send them to me. But <laughs> oh, For sure. For sure. Like, of course. But am I really like, I had this one poem called Decolonial Pussy and... <laughs> The S's are dollar signs, and I was like, do I really like, yeah, want to send like, that to my... Does it, is it necessary to have this level like, of sharing? <laughs> no, like, none whatsoever. I'm like, let's not. I'm not going to. I get that. Yeah. I get that profoundly, actually. But then that's my growth, is my I'm, is. my poetry, is I'm, I'm talking about these, these types of sex I'm having, and this freedom, and coming to Vancouver, and uh, a lot of my work in regards with myself and body yeah. love... Was inspired by Sonia Renee Taylor, who does, uh, who yeah. is the body is not an apology, um, <clears throat> and I was like, okay, like my body isn't an apology. I'm fat. I'm queer. I'm trans. Like, I, I want to have sex, and yeah. I'm a body that has sex. Like, let's remove that shame. Let's remove that forced mm. narrative. I'm like, you know what? If I want to have sex, I'm gonna have sex, and that's the truth of the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I began to write about it. I began to write about the sex that I was having and it was a way for me to cope with how, specifically how I feel as a trans woman and how my body is being consumed by these cis men and these cis het men and how, mm-hmm. how often like these straight men do want to have sex with trans women, but their shame is killing us. And yeah. it's a huge, huge, huge part of our, our death. Like we are so at risk of, of of murder and it's something I'm very well aware of. Um, the statistic right now is if you're a trans woman of color and you live past 37, that's an anomaly. So that's something I live with where I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, is there a day where I have sex with someone and they kill me after? And that's a huge risk for me. Um, I am very much happily in a relationship with uh, my boyfriend. They're right now in Europe visiting their family. But... Um, <clears throat> They are not cis straight, uh, and it's been a very loving relationship that's been very healing to the both of us. Mm-hmm. And dating them has actually lifted my bar so high, oh, I so that. high, where I'm like, wow, this super healthy relationship full of communication. Yes, we have our arguments. Yes, of course, that's of course. part of that's communication. Part of it, by the way, is bump ups and yeah. like slip ups, but we move through it in beautiful, gorgeous ways. And has lifted the bar so high that like the relationship is open and, and I'm like, okay, like I want to start seeing other people. Um, and there's these men who are like pursuing me and I'm not interested in them. What? So ever because one, they don't know how to talk to you. They, they're like, I just want to fuck you. And I'm like, I really don't want that. Like, thank you Like I get the intent. Thank you. But no, thank you. Like, I was like, I'm sorry, but I, I would pay money to not fuck you. <laughs> you know, and like, I used to do sex work. So I'm like, you know what? Once upon a time, I used to be like, okay, like a hundred bucks. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. out of survival. But now I'm just like, I, 
the sex you're having is not the same sex you used to have, and therefore the sex you used to have is no longer interesting. Exactly. The sex I have is fantastic. I actually orgasm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know that. I spit my God. <laughs> you know cheers. That? Cheers. <laughs> oh, I spit it on you. Oh, my goodness. We're a mess. This is, this is like, we're like, we actually orgasm, and it makes us spill our coffees. Exactly. Because this is the statistic. Truly, when you start having sex that actually feels good to your body and your needs, mm-hmm. you're like, I don't want to have shitty sex with these men. No. And I was specifically... Or women, for that matter. Or women. Yeah, true. I'm, like, I'm speaking of my, yeah, my body. Yeah, 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 yeah. But... <laughs> and it's it's um, been very liberating being like, you know what? Like, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I... Having the permission, but not having the necessity. There is... I used to identify as, like, uh, in my poetry as necessity of, like, I am a necessity for your fetish and your fantasy. But I'm not going to fulfill it anymore. Before, when I wasn't in this healthy relationship, I was really into any way that anyone found me desirable. And I'd been through some very bad breakups and had been really mistreated. And I was in a bad place. So I I was having the sex and I wasn't having a good time. But it's an escape. But it's an escape of being like, okay, for 20 minutes I I forget. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's a game to the pursuit and all of this. Yeah. And, uh, but also in the regards to the game, there was always this deep fear of like, I would ask all of these questions to make sure I wouldn't die. I would put my location on with my friends. Like it was scary where I'm like six of my friends have my location at all times Yeah. because if I disappear, there's people who will know where I was mm-hmm. and that's a blessing and a curse in regards to the fact that I shouldn't have to be scared to die in intimacy yeah but that's the truth of the situation it so is and it's funny because like I think um I don't obviously don't think about that statistic as much as you do because I'm a cis woman um but I was talking about it with Tony who was on the trans death care episode um he was telling me about something that was going on in their personal life and I was like by the way just like be safe because I would say that to any woman. I would say that to any person mm-hmm. that I think shares like my same vulnerability or messaging and socialization of being like, if you go on a date with a stranger, tell people where you're going. Mm. But then they were like, or he was like, um, yeah, no, no, don't worry. Like seven people have my location. And I was like, oh, it's great. Thing, yeah. I just had to say it because it's a thing. And I like, can't, like, I can already feel it in my body let alone in yours i used to use snapchat when i when i used snapchat for the snap map yeah so i'd be like watch my snap map but i deleted it when rihanna told me to so that was my my situation but i have an iphone and you can share your location and i've got like one of my friends in edmonton is watching and it's just this ability for me to be like when I used to, more often, I was like, I'm going to go have sex with this person. Yeah. Here's their photo. Here's their number. Yeah. This is where we're going to meet up, and this is where I'll be. I will text you right after. Yeah. If I don't text you within the hour, something's up. Yeah. And I always say, and they're always like, within the hour. And I'm like, honestly, within 15 within- minutes. <laughs> like, within 10. Like, honestly, like, it's not going to be a good situation. And then if it's more than an hour, you usually text me like, don't worry about me. Like, yeah, be like, you know, hold up. You have time to send a text saying, don't worry about me, all good. All good. Or be like, thumbs yeah, up. Like, yeah. Something like that, right? So, but yeah, it's this, been... The steps we have to take. For precaution. But now I feel like, yes, I'll 
maybe I want to do that, but also at the same time, I'm really not Is interested. It <laughs> yeah, in having that kind I of know. sex. And and I recently downloaded Grinder again just to see what the situation was, and it's bad. It's bad out it's, there. It's, it's bad out there. <laughs> well, it was the same as when I used yeah. to have it a couple months ago, but now I'm just like block, delete, block, yeah. delete, block, delete. Where I'm like, I'm actually not interested in any of you, so I'm any probably going to delete the app yeah. shortly. And this is the thing I think about communication and and healthy boundaries and and just healing with a partner is like you you see yourself mm-hmm. you know you take the minute to see yourself as yourself outside of the relationship but having the relationship as a backdrop yeah it just really helped me also come to that realization being like holy shit my standards are like way higher and even people that i used to fuck that i used to happily fuck that I have these great memories with. And I'm like, eh, I'm okay. Like, Same. You know? That is such, oh my God, this old buddy. Yeah. And it was very common and frequent. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't. And Or I have to be in a very specific mind frame for that kind of game. Yeah. Like, it just has to be more of a game. It has to be like, oh, I could use a bit of that. Yeah. But... But it's temporary and very localized. And like 90% of the time, I'm like, no thanks. I'm good. Like, I think I'm like a 99% of the time. No, it'll cross my mind. Like, I don't know. I had this like one partner that was like super domineering, super dominant. And I'd be like, every now and then, you know, when you want complete loss of control, I'd be like, ooh, I could. But I can also get it from my partner. So I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) ah. Like, not quite the same because it's a different person. Yeah. But I'm like, if I, that's what I want, to just ask them. Exactly. I don't need to go through that. Again, exactly. For the, like, yeah. You know, when your needs can be met in a <laughs> yeah, safer, Yeah, or discussed. Way. Or discussed, exactly. And maybe the need disappears just by the discussion. Exactly. You know, my boyfriend recently before they left, they were like, do you want me to spit in your mouth? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. And they, they're very new to it. So they, they spat too much and we had to have a conversation of like, okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> but sometimes when yeah. I feel very safe with a partner, that's something I like and I'm not going to be shamed about it. No. And it, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, you have all these conversations about shame and the power of shame when it comes to your statistics of safety and white cis men and their problems. I'm going to say problems because otherwise we'll be here for another hour. Oh, God. Um, but um, the the whole thing about, like, talking about power and sex and relationships and existence, like, everyone's like, oh, how far would you go? Or how well? And I'm like, yeah, someone peed on me and I had the power. Like, that was, I let them have that. Live, laugh, love. They don't yeah. get that unless I say you can. So who's got the power in this? Truly. Where, you know, like the, the conversations about power and submission and like all of, all, I think like we said at the beginning, all of this shit is complicated. Yeah, it is. And it's all existing at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And except for healthy communication, there's not really any, anything else that needs to be done. You know exactly. what I mean? Like the communication part is the essential <clears throat> and then that communication can come to fruition in actions hopefully maybe i don't know how far it's going to go in taking down the government but you know what yeah, you never know we could dream we could dream we could dream but also at the same time i'm really not ready to risk my life for that so that's the truth of the situation yeah yeah oh what a fun conversation <laughs> we went all over the place we really did and you know what 
It really do be like that sometimes. Right? The rabbit holes. The rabbit holes. <laughs> um, what would you like to say as parting words to anyone listening? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Part of me is just like be unapologetic, but also be like consensual about it. There's mm. oftentimes when people are like, I'm a badass. And then they're mean to people who yeah. like care about them. And like, <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, like be unapologetic in some situations. <laughs> Mildly unapologetic. Yeah. And you know, uh, for me, sometimes it's to take a beat, take a breath, take a minute. Don't react instantly. Yeah. I'm notorious for that. <laughs> but I'm, I've been taking a beat, taking a breath, processing it, sitting in it. Um, also, understand that your body is yours and you don't owe anyone it. <clears throat> That's been a big process of mine. Mm. Even checking out the, uh, the, the scene mm-hmm. yesterday, I was like, I am a goddess and none of these men are worthy. Yeah. And it's been like, you know, because of my partner has treated me so in such high regard and so... Um, that it inspires you to treat yourself that way. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to subjugate myself to that kind of treatment. No. And that's hard. And it. I wish I had more of the skills to have done that on my own. And that's a tricky, another conversation. It'll come. It'll, It'll come. come. It's a work in progress. Exactly. But I feel safer in asserting my own self-worth now on mm-hmm. my own. And yeah, if that's like the quite the step. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge step, and I don't know. Part of me is just like, how do we move away from shame? Mm-hmm. And for me, if you have a chance to explore rejecting shame, I say do it. Yeah, that's my biggest thing is rejection. Yeah, shame. in a safe. What's safe for you? Yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. Thank you so much for coming to talk today. Thank you. Um, we'll put all of the wealth of resources that you've given us today in the description. Um, yeah. Thanks guys for, sorry, folks, I keep doing this. Thanks folks for listening or lovers or y'all or whatever other time I can use. That isn't guys. Um, <laughs> um, this is the last episode of 2019. Wah, wah, wah. No, but also like 2020. Holy fuck. I know the roaring twenties are about to add to start and, um, yeah, I guarantee more slipperiness. Um, it's bound. <laughs> right? It's, it's obligated. It's the Roaring Twenties. It's just yeah, going to get things weirder. Things are just going to get wetter. The ice caps are melting. Yeah, that too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like both like, haha, funny joke, also like terrible, terrible. Feel. Well, anyway. <laughs> Not going to leave you with some gloom and doom. Um, enjoy your time off if you get any over these holidays. Um, take care of yourselves. Do whatever feels right for a little while. Um, Try oat milk in your lattes. Try oat milk. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we will see you next year for some more crazy adventures.